0: You're listening to Making Medicine Stories from the Early Stage Life Sciences Ecosystem, a podcast that explores the people and deals that have led to the medicines, devices, and technologies that keep us healthy. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. This is Ashlyn Roberts, the Coalition Manager of Incubate, wishing you a Happy New Year live from JP Morgan in San Francisco. Today's a special episode to kick off the year, and I'm here with John Stanford, the Executive Director of Incubate, live from the scene. Thanks for joining us today, John.
1: Great to be here, and Happy New Year to all of the Incubate listeners.
0: So despite the gloomy weather, how's the conference going so far?
1: Weather aside, and it's certainly been uh, interesting to see these atmospheric rivers come through. That was a new weather term for me this time around. It's been a great conference. It's great to be back in person to see some of Incubate's members and founders uh, in person, where we haven't had a chance to get together. And of course, it kicks off the year for a conversation of innovation, excitement. Uh, there were some big deals announced, there were some breakthroughs announced. And so it's really been a great place to be, to just get revitalized for the year ahead. Uh, Incubate and the Making Medicine podcast will be covering a lot of the excitement that we're going to see in 2023, hopefully some great news for patients. And so this just sets a tone and uh, hopefully has gives us the energy to get through what'll be another long and busy year. That's
0: great. Well, thank you for sharing. And so far for the events that you have attended, what are some notable ones that really stuck out to you?
1: Well, I think everyone is watching and waiting to see what's going to happen in the broader economic environment. And a lot of folks, I think as much as this was a reset for being in person, a lot of us are wondering, is this going to be a reset for the economic uh, challenges that we've seen over the last couple of years? And so I've heard a lot of people talk about how excited they are for 2023. I've heard people talk about some anxiety for 2023. I think for some of the small biotech CEOs I've had the pleasure of sitting down and talking with over the last couple of days, some of them are raising, some of them are well-capitalized. The theme that people are going to continue to need to do more with less is definitely there. I think everyone would agree that coming into the hard economic situation that's been the biotech sector for a little while is that right now you really have to have good science and you have to have good data and in a couple instances that wasn't the case in in the last couple years is big ideas could attract big funding but you definitely see a discipline in the conversations that i've had where folks are still keen to invest the reality is there's lots of capital that has been stored up over the last couple years but there's definitely a need to be disciplined in investments And people are asking some really critical questions about uh, clinical trial data, about the science underlying platform technologies. And so I think it's really required the entrepreneurs to up their game in order to answer some of the tougher questions from VCs. And of course, strategics are here and partners are here and the large corporates are here. And in fact, we've uh, seen some big announcements uh, right out of the gate, as we often do of acquisitions. And it's clear that they're still... Uh, there's still an appetite for the virtuous cycle of entrepreneur to large manufacturer to continue, but there's definitely a, an intensity about making sure that people are putting their money in the right place that I won't say is new, but is certainly back in force.
0: That is really interesting to hear that that is really one of the high level themes that are sticking out. I know more with less is is something that we anticipate to see this upcoming year as especially in uh, the current economic climate. Were there any other high-level themes that that you're hearing?
1: Well, as our listener knows, incubate and making medicine is all about policy and advocacy. You know, we are the voice of life science venture capital to policymakers in the United States. And a lot of times we're sort of at the periphery of JP Morgan, you know. We're not here pitching A product or an asset we're not raising, and we're not here to make deals or be acquired or acquire someone else. So, you know, sometimes we're not the star of the show to be sure. But this has certainly been a year where there's been a lot more questions headed incubates way about the role of policy and about the role of government. And that is without a doubt because of the Inflation Reduction Act. And I had uh, the legislation passed last year that included effectively the biggest change to drug pricing and even drug development and the whole industry in probably the last two decades, or certainly at least since the Affordable Care Act. I had the pleasure of joining Charles Rivers Associates panel uh, that dug deep into this. And I want to thank my fellow panelists because we really got into the practical business effects of this legislation. And so the other trend I'd see is a lot more interest in the role the U.S. government is going to play in folks' business plans, And that's something we told Congress by adopting and and told the administration, by adopting this arrangement and uh, by inserting the U.S. in in terms of price controls, the U.S. government becomes much more a seat at the table for business calculations. And so it'll be critical that we remove as much uncertainty as possible. Uh, And I know we're going to talk more on the show about the Inflation Reduction Act. But that interest in Washington is certainly higher than in years past. And that's obviously because of the legislation passed last year.
0: Absolutely. And I know that especially all of the work that we've done around the IRA and hosting some VCs in Washington, it's interesting to to see that industry is now seeing um, the growing concern as well with the downstream impact. So now talking about IRA, since it has passed and it really is impacting uh, how some companies are making decisions. So would love to hear any conversations you had there and any insights on how Incubate's tracking this.
1: Well, I think this is certainly going to be one of the defining features for Incubate in 2023. Um, how this legislation is implemented is going to be so critical for the entire industry, but particularly the early stage ecosystem. So I, I'll break my comments, I suppose, up into two buckets Just uh, today, we got some information out of the Centers for uh, Medicaid, Medicare Services, CMS, and HHS, and the administration about how they intend to implement this wide-ranging legislation. All of this, by the way, is available at incubatecoalition.org. We put out a blast about it. Um, We've got more information on the website. So if this is something you have questions about, Uh, We'll be continuing our series with DLA Piper that'll be digging deep into the weeds of the practical effects of this. So, that was a long way of saying stay with Incubate, stay with making medicine throughout the year to stay informed on the Inflation Reduction Act. And we're pulling apart. And I want to thank the folks at CMS for putting out some initial guidance and for committing to an open dialogue about the implementation of this law. There is no doubt that. Incubate was opposed to some of the drug pricing provisions. Uh, There was some good stuff in the Inflation Reduction Act around some pro-patient reforms that we've been fighting for, capping out-of-pocket costs, really trying to make insurance feel more like insurance. Unfortunately, that was only limited to the Medicare population, that $2,000 out-of-pocket cost. Uh, And we saw patient smoothing, which is something that was a bit of a no-brainer for quite some time. And finally saw over the finish line. That's something that our friends over at the MAPRX coalition and patient groups have been clamoring for. And all that will really do is allow people to not be burdened with an enormous payment at the beginning of their insurance calendar year, but can smooth those costs. And so we're excited that CMS is working quickly to implement those provisions and is open to hearing feedback as they put the drug pricing provisions. But there are so many questions. Yeah, at multiple panels that I've been speaking on and, and some of the one-on-ones with investors and, and companies while I've been here are questions about, okay, how can I strategize around this legislation? How can I plan? How can I allocate capital? How can I um, think about my, my pipeline or R&D? And there's just so much we don't know. And so it'll be several years before how the true impact of this will play out. But one of the interesting takeaways, at least for me, from some of the conversations is the small biotech exemption that is temporary was brought up a number of times. But until we sort of know more about it, it, it really sounds like it'd be a very unique case where that would come into play. And so I think that's something to look at because small biotechs will not have the ability to really assess this legislation and be patient. You know, if you're bootstrapping your biotech, you're going to be trying to get your product to the market as soon as possible, and you might not have the opportunity to really understand the full ramifications of the law before you have to go to market. And hearing more and more people talk about that, there does seem to be a bit of a negative on small biotechs. Despite being called out with a particular exemption, I think that's something that's not going to play out the way maybe Congress thought it would. And so that's something we're going to be watching pretty closely. Uh, But pivoting over to what's Incubate going to do about it, we believe that there are some key flaws in the legislation that are going to lead to unfortunate disincentives in the market. And that's where we're gonna focus our energy. We're gonna work with the White House and with Congress in a bipartisan way to say, we see what you're trying to do here, but in a couple places, we really do need to amend this legislation to make it not be a negative influence or externality on the innovation ecosystem. The first example is one we've talked about, we've written about, and we really are diving headfirst into. And that's this so-called small molecule penalty the legislation really in the price control arena installs the price control after a certain amount of time. And so a company can go out and recoup its uh, investment, hopefully and and make profit that it can then put into other investments and other R and D for the first period of exclusivity that they, they receive for biologics. That's 13 years. Now, generally speaking, We know that it takes somewhere between 13 and 15 years to be recouping that investment. And so that's on the lower, but in the right ballpark of exclusivity that would allow companies to remain incentivized. One of the big problems, however, is that small molecules or anything filed with an NDA uh, at the FDA, as opposed to a BLA for a biologic that only has nine years. And this is something that came up a lot throughout my conversations here at JP Morgan is that's quite a big difference to be awarding small molecules only nine years of exclusivity. And that's so far from the 13 to 15 year range that most investors are looking for or have historically uh, sort of put into their NPV calculations. So we've got to fix what we call the small molecule penalty and lift that up to 13 years alongside biologics. We do not want, and I think this is something almost everyone can agree with, we don't want the government picking winners and losers in the biotech and biopharmaceutical space. We want science leading the way. We want patient impact leading the way. And small molecules have enormous value. When we talk about the single greatest value in the American healthcare system, it's without a doubt the drugs that have gone generic over the last century and small molecules can go generic in a much easier fashion than the similar the biologic to biosimilar pathway i want to stress for our uh super listeners out there that you know a generic and a biosimilar aren't exactly uh, equivalents but the pathway of um, bringing competition to the marketplace for a small molecule is certainly easier and that's why we've seen just an impressive amount of market-based competition drive down those prices. But small molecules shouldn't be thought to mean that it's not a place of tremendous innovation. And our concern is that, I mean, small molecule, yes, it's aspirin, penicillin, uh, insulin, and tamoxifen, but it's also Sovaldi and Harvoni, which is a cure for hepatitis C. Gleevec was a um, an enormous one. But the advent of onco- immuno-oncology, you know, monoclonal antibodies, these are all small molecule as well. And we've got a long way to go to explore the opportunity there. And so I'd hate for people to say, well, I've got much more of a reward from an exclusivity standpoint if I go to biologics when we know we need so much more innovation. Uh, another huge thing about small molecule is small molecule can get through the blood-brain barrier. And I think a lot of folks are familiar that uh, in order to really make progress on neurodegenerative diseases, getting through the blood-brain barrier is critical. And we would hate to be disincentivizing that. I'm excited for what President Biden has called for with his cancer moonshot, but we've got to align then this policy. So because small molecules are what are going to get us to so many more improvements in brain health. You know, proteins and antibodies, sort of the biologic drugs, they can't get through the tight junctions of the blood-brain barrier. And so why wouldn't we want to keep incentives not weighed down? We really want science to lead the way here. And so that's something we'll be fighting for. You know, similarly, the legislation put some disincentives in place for post-approval research, I've talked about some of those breakthrough monoclonal antibodies. We know they work in one cancer. Why wouldn't we want to test them in so many others? And something we've already seen in the marketplace is companies uh, not being incentivized to do that post-approval research because of some of the elements of this legislation. And so Incubate has launched a working group on this and will be working in a bipartisan way. We know that for there to be a change here, we're going to have to make the case to Republicans and Democrats alike but the science and the marketplace and the economics of all of this are on our side that, that we really do need these changes to the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, so that was that was more than you bargained for there, Ashlyn, and what we've been hearing on the Inflation Reduction Act, but it's going to be an important part of what Incubate does this year.
0: Thank you for that. No, that was incredibly helpful in could not agree more that both uh, small molecule and post-approval research are critical in the development of new medicines and really should continue incentive around their development. I also did want to take this opportunity to underscore Incubate's Life Sciences Investment Tracker that we launched earlier this year really to measure the immediate and longer-term impacts of the IRA and also um, the current landscape of investments in industry. And so this tracker really follows two key indicators. One, public shifts in activity, and specifically as it relates to newer price controls, and then two, the public announcements of decreased R&D activity due to a broader uh, investment environment. And that of course can be uh, viewed at incubatecoalition.org backslash life-science-investment-tracker. So thank you for for that lay of the land, John. And I think that I, that dovetails nicely with kind of looking ahead at at 2023 and and what else is to come?
1: Well, I think uh, I, I wish I could say that concerns about the Inflation Reduction Act's impacts are the only thing that's going to be on our agenda. But this industry and in particular, life science, venture capital and the early stage ecosystem will have to do more. In education and awareness, it's really complex how we fit into the broader healthcare landscape. And we really need to ensure that policymakers understand the critical role we play. And not just on the economic side, where we spend a lot of time talking about, but we really didn't do enough, in, in my view, to advance a pro-patient agenda. Uh, we being sort of collectively the country during the last Congress. There are so many places where we need good, strong policy uh, to benefit patients. And a lot of that got left on the cutting room floor, the first of which was the Pasteur Act. Um, We have a real challenge. And it's incredible that we're coming out of this global pandemic uh, where some breakthrough vaccines made all the difference for the world. And yet we we are unable to confront the growing threat of antimicrobial resistance. And the Pasteur Act, which we've had a couple episodes on, would have helped further incentivize entrepreneurship and engagement, uh, as well as the Disarm Act. And so that's something we've got to pick up and run with right away. I've heard just some really uh, compelling uh, and, and damning statistics about the role AMR is going to play in life. I think uh, most recently that Uh, there'll be 10 million deaths around the world attributed to AMR in the coming years. And that's something that science and industry, we can do something about that, but we've got to get the policies in place. And the Pasteur act was a good example. So we hope to see that back on the table and really get it over the finish line this year. Uh, and so, and to some extent, make sure the U S is aligned, uh, with other countries around the world in our prioritization of antimicrobial resistance. I think we're also watching a couple other areas where we know uh, detractors uh, from the work we do in life sciences are continuing to push misconceptions. One of those is around intellectual property. Now, for those who are regular listeners, you know intellectual property is fundamental to the work investors do. Uh, There's quite frankly not much to invest in if the uh, intellectual property is, is not there. And so these threats to intellectual property are something, we're watching closely, uh, aggressive calls for uh, what are called march-in rights or the idea that in cer- certain circumstances, we should just be able to take away IP. I know how good it can feel in the moment to call for something radical like that. Uh, but the the damage and the destabilization of science and of innovation that would happen from voiding IP, as some people have called for, it would be cataclysmic. And so we'll need to continue to make sure that policymakers are aware of the linkage between IP and investment, uh, and, and we'll continue to do work there. I think one of the biggest question marks that I'm hearing about it at JP Morgan, and we went into last year, is obviously we've had some very high profile approvals uh, in the Alzheimer's space. And then we've seen uh, corresponding non-coverage decisions uh, or a blanket non-coverage decision uh, from CMS. And I think this is an area, these are things that came through the accelerated approval pathway at the FDA. I think this is a place where we need to watch closely and make sure we are getting the facts to policymakers. Uh, The accelerated approval pathway is responsible for a host of drugs, oncology products, others, getting to patients faster. And there are real lives that have been saved because that, because of that. And it's a recognition that the traditional pathway is not one that can be done in a truly expedited manner. And that's one of the reasons why FDA approval is, is really the gold standard in the world. How we move forward from here and think about, non-coverage decisions at CMS. How we think about, I think the broader question is how are we going to think about paying for the next breakthrough cure? And if it is in Alzheimer's where we have 6 million Americans afflicted by this disease, talk to any of them, talk to their families, talk to the patient associations, um, Everyone is dreaming for progress, and that progress will be stepping stones. Uh, It it would be tough to conceive that we will just stumble upon a a perfect cure. But we need from a policy landscape to start thinking about the kinds of value-based systems we'll need to have in place for when that day arrives. I do lose a little bit of sleep about the exciting science of today but payer and reimbursement systems, not just of yesterday or yesteryear, but yesterdecades, and how are we going to be able to think about a cell and gene therapy that we need to pay for that has a tiny, tiny, ultra-ultra rare population or an Alzheimer's sized population? We're not even prepared with our payer systems and and, and from a policy landscape to think about that. And I think that drove some of the concern around at CMS and the non-coverage decision. And so I don't think we want non-coverage decisions to be substitutes for we haven't modernized our reimbursement policy. So that's something we've got to put good hard work into in a bipartisan way. The last thing I'll probably say is we really need to, again, to do more on the pro-patient agenda. I talked about AMR And I talked about some of the good patient uh, pieces of the Inflation Reduction Act, but we really need to dedicate attention to expanding things like that into the commercial market. I saw a recent, uh, I believe it was Kaiser Family Foundation, put out that the average high deductible health plan has now reached $22,000 of deductible before insurance really kicks in. And in a country where the average American has something like $400 in savings, I think we've got to really be thinking about, is our insurance market structured in the right way where insurance can truly act as insurance? Because if $500 is going to bankrupt the average American family, $22,000 is going to be the kind of medical debt that, that we hear about as being catastrophic and leading people to make very challenging decisions. So I think we gotta step back and look at how we're offering healthcare. We are a country that is leading the world in the development of next generation medicines. Medicines, which by the way, help keep people out of the hospital and help keep people out of long-term care that is by far the driver of our healthcare costs. And I think we have to remember as much attention as we put on the drug provisions of the Inflation Reduction Act, we're still only talking about 10 to 20% of total healthcare costs. So that means in the last Congress, we left 80%, plus 80 plus percent of healthcare unaddressed. And I think that's something this Congress has to tackle and this administration has to tackle if we're gonna get serious about healthcare reforms. You know. Uh, PBMs, something we've talked about before on the show, Uh, we really didn't see any of sort of the attention uh, on them uh, that had been sort of called for or expected. I know the FTC has launched some actions uh, looking into uh, some of those practices, but I I think we need to have a hard look at our entire healthcare system. You know, certainly the pharmaceutical industry, both the early stage and, and large manufacturers, have been under the microscope. But I I think we need to expand that lens to look at a holistic healthcare system because there are a lot of places where policy really is out of date and we really need to to bring forward. And, And so I think by doing that, that's what putting the patients first does because I think patients are a little tired of being caught in these policy debates without seeing policies that necessarily are making a meaningful difference in their life. And that was one of our concerns with the Inflation Reduction Act, is that for all of the discourse, uh, at the end of the day, it will not move the needle for millions of patients. And until we address out-of-pocket costs, until we get those truly under control, we're still going to hear terrible stories from the American patient population about an inability to access these breakthrough medicines that we spend so much time, energy, and money uh, developing. And so I think Incubate really needs to lean in there and and really bring that pro-patient voice forward.
0: Quite a robust perspective on everything that is happening in the 118th Congress. Thank you for that, John. And for a, a quick recap, the, I think the detractors on accelerated approval and intellectual property, and then also looking at kind of that pro-patient agenda lens as it relates to AMR Patient focused insurance and expanding market initiatives as a whole and really bringing that holistic lens uh, that is pro patient to the healthcare system will be very front and center this year. This is fantastic insight as usual and on what to watch as we enter the 118th Congress and as this year begins to unfold. Thank you, John, for the time. Miss the busyness of JP Morgan and for joining me today. Thanks to our audience for listening and sharing feedback. More from Incubate at www.incubatecoalition.org. Keep innovating, everybody. You've been listening to Making Medicine. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves.